welcome to What The If News. The news division uh, of the uh, program called What The If, uh, which is a Friday thing, kind of an end of the week thing where we do thought experiments. And there is a uh, very strong, there's an impenetrable wall between the news division and the if division. Yes, that's right. Because the news division is our profit-making sector, it's very important that it be marked off cleanly from the pure intellectual research. Actually, actually, as a uh, er, uh, often uh, erstwhile, as an as an occasional uh, employee of the actual news divisions of some of the the media, I can say the news media is not the profit-making center by any means. Um, well, then we've then we have misstrategized horribly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, we are profit. The, you know where we profit though is in knowledge. The the yeah. the, the value of the of the uh, information that comes out of here is incredible. In no thanks in no small part to our uh, amazing guest uh, guest our amazing source of all like you know in the media when they they have uh, uh what do they say a source um a person in the know we have a person in the know oh, okay every week who's actually the leader of this she's quietly <laughs> the leader of this program uh gabby panicia from rockefeller university how are you i am good you are also um uh so you are a virologist mm -hmm. and uh also a member a participant in the one of the vaccine trials. Yes, I am also a guinea pig. And a gu <laughs> but scientist and guinea pig. It's a remarkable feat of bioengineering. Yeah. <laughs> How can you fit both rodent and woman into one person? A, gu <laughs> a guinea test. Yeah. Uh, and and like any, updates, any updates from your uh, vaccine uh, trial experience? I go back in again for the second dose of either, uh, well, I say vaccine question mark because um, it's either vaccine or placebo. I, I go in on Thursday. And so we'll see. The lab has told me, because th they've also read the, the paper, that apparently the side effects of the vaccine happen after the second dose. So I guess me and all of my lab mates are hoping I get really sick after Thursday. So then it means I'm immune. Uh, never thought I'd be rooting for that, but fingers crossed. I, I think I'm placebo. Just maybe that's a better mindset to have so I don't take any dumb risks, but that's my thought process. Do, do you find out at the end, well, you said it's a couple of years at least running, but at the end, do you find out what you were? I actually don't think they ever tell us. Wow. Um, but wow. at the same time, if I if it's at the point where like they actually release the vaccine, I, I don't think they're going to object to me like taking a serology test, seeing do uh -huh. I have antibodies? And if I do, then that means I actually got it. If I don't, then that means I need to actually get the vaccine. Oh, right. Of course, you would want to know if you should get it. Yeah. Interestingly. Um, all right. Now, what we do here uh, each week on uh, Mondays is um, we look at one of the headlines that's in the news, and then Gabby helps us kind of understand more context about it. And for instance, um, this one in particular, so this is from uh, from the Atlantic uh, Fine uh, Institution, uh, theatlantic.com. And uh, the uh, reporter or the author is uh, Olga Kazan. And what's interesting is, so the headline is how to tell if socializing indoors is safe. 
So that's great. That's like, that's a perfect headline actually. Cause like you want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet if you noticed right above that is that uh, they list in all caps and in red letters, the section of the magazine that this is in. And so I think you would expect to see maybe science or health, uh, mm-hmm. but actually it says politics. So interesting. I'm just noting that, you know, now I think what this actually means is I bet if you went into the science and health sections, you're also going to find a lot of interesting articles. And this one has made its way into the politics. So in from the politics section of the Atlantic, how to tell if socializing indoors is safe uh, as the, and then subheadline, as the weather gets older, many Americans have no idea. They could have just put a period right there. Uh, <laughs> have no idea whether hanging out with other people inside is risky. That's a big problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, indeed. So I'm just going to read a little bit here. Uh, and then Gabby's going to help us understand more. Uh, for mo- It says, for months now, Americans have been told that if we want to socialize, the safest way to do it is outdoors. Indeed. The better to disperse the droplets that spew from our mouths whenever we do anything but silently purchase grapefruit. (laughs) That's a lovely image. (laughs) But (laughs) in many parts of the country, this is the last month that the weather will allow people to spend more than a few minutes outside comfortably. It is getting a little chillier here in the northern latitudes. Uh, Next month... America will celebrate a holiday that is marked by being inside together and eating while talking loudly to old people. <laughs> <laughs> Man, somebody at the Atlantic's a little punchy. This she morning. had fun. Yeah. I think that's why this is in the politics. <laughs> this is, even if this was a scientist, it's you're having too much fun. Uh, and, and for those outside the United States, I'm sure you, you're aware of the holiday of Thanksgiving, but uh, that's what they're talking about there. So kind of the harvest holiday. Uh, Let me celebrate here. Federal and local officials have offered little guidance. Again, you could just put a picture. Actually, more more shout. The local officials have been more helpful than some of the federal. But uh, federal and local officials have offered little guidance on weather and how people should be socializing this winter. That has left even medical experts confused about what's safe and what's not. So this. By the way, I'll just note that and we'll come back to that. I think it's interesting that this has left even medical experts confused, yeah. pointing out that, you know, they rely on this. It's not just a slay people that uh, rely on information from the government. About a month ago, Megan Rainey, R-A-N-N-E-Y, an emergency physician who teaches at Brown University, was trying to decide whether to take her son to his favorite restaurant for his ninth birthday. I'd love to know. Chucky e. G, the family maybe he's maybe he's higher class than that. Uh, the family has not dined out since the pandemic hit the U.S. But Rainey's son really, really wanted to go. "Quote," and I was trying to think in my brain, "Is it safe for us to go outside? What if we're inside and we're in a private room?" Rainey told me, "It's just too complicated to figure it out on your own." And then the article goes on, no indoor gathering will be perfectly safe. And, and it goes into the statistics about that. Uh, what's interesting is ultimately, as, as the headline said, um, the statistics, I'll just read the last uh, uh, paragraph here. With Americans befuddled as to which risks are acceptable. So you just, there's all kinds of, it's, it's hard. There's no certain answer. 
Social media has overflowed with posts shaming people who appear to be in the company of other people. But these witch hunts miss the point that people generally don't want to kill their friends and relatives. Except, you know, maybe that's like when the meal begins at Thanksgiving. By the end, <laughs> you know, could be a food fight. Most people, especially these years with the politics, uh, most people want to do the right thing, but they can't do it if they don't know what it is. Olga, Olga Kazan is a staff writer at The Atlantic oh, and author of Weird. The power of being an outsider in an insider world. So, thank you, Olga. I can relate. Um, Gabby, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. So I think that's definitely just very important because, for one, over the course of this, you kind of get, I guess, a handle of people's feelings to it and some of all of our unscientific tendencies. And I say all of us because you know, it's mm. scientists ourselves are not immune. Um, like especially in, in the U.S., I've noticed that. Um, more towards the South, there's this sort of hospitality culture thing where it's like, mm. because they're your friend, you feel as though you should be still interacting with them or that they should be safe because they're your friend. But I had spoken previously about the need for, um, call them like quarantine groups, where if you know who your group is and that they're really only socializing with you and not just a bunch of other people, you can kind of feel more comfortable within that because although you may have a lot of you know different friends from everywhere the fact remains that they also have a lot of different friends from everywhere right. and very yeah. rapidly uh you can essentially come in contact with air quotes people that you've never met who may be sick because it's sort of passed down the line it's like an infectious uh what is it six degrees from kevin bacon that sort of whole <laughs> thing if you've ever heard of that yeah <laughs> yes like wow. think how kevin fast bacon must be I hope he's immune by now because he must have been <laughs> infected. So there's so many people that are six <laughs> degrees away from him. He's, he's really. Well, it's like, think how fast you're degrees away from Kevin Bacon are, which for most people, it's actually not as many as you would expect. Uh, and then also oh. now think of that in just like some rando who's not Kevin Bacon, but who happens to be sick. And it might be a right. little bit higher than you're expecting. Well, what's the point in hanging out with someone who's not Kevin Bacon, though? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Well, this settling. It's really settling, is what it is. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I am all yeah. My, I am only two degrees away from Kevin Bacon because he is his brother. Interestingly, Michael Bacon is a very prolific documentary film composer. Oh, I worked with him. Uh, in fact, he and um, uh, Michael and uh, Kevin had had a band. I think they they occasionally joined up again. So very infectious. Very infectious. Yeah. So really, basically, Kevin Bacon needs to be isolated. We just let's just mark that. It's down. actually the source. He's the source the of all of any viral situation. Um, but here's the thing. So one thing that really jumped out at me, like I mentioned, was that one sentence that said, uh, the federal and federal and local authorities give mixed answers if they give any answers at all. And medical experts don't stand separate from that column of information in a way, or outside that flow is as medical right. experts. So Gabby, tell us, how does that work that where, why would medical experts be in some ways in the same boat as us of not being able to make judgments or have a, have a firm? Yeah. Answer? I mean, so I think for the most part, actually, like almost all of us are in the same boat, myself included. Hmm. Um, it's one of these things where as much as you can kind of take your experience and do your best to 
figure out what might be okay, especially from talking with or, or hearing talks from other scientists, it can be kind of hard because, you know, we are still learning about this. It took a while for the CDC to acknowledge that it was airborne or potentially airborne transmission. Mm-hmm. And even if scientists are starting to lean towards that without it sort of being acknowledged on a larger level, you're not actually sure of, you know, well, how much should I trust the state, like these couple of case studies versus, you know, just like what I've observed in real life, which of course, like you wouldn't tend to observe that, but like there's this sort of, it's not in front of me, so I don't know if I can trust it kind of thing. And so, you know, we're not always as jacked into the know as as you might think. Like it takes a while to read a bunch of stuff, to sit there and figure out what do you trust? How much do you believe in it? And then sort of figure out your own guidelines for what you want to do. And and some of it does also vary on like personal, I guess, I don't want to say beliefs, but like tendencies. Like I'm a very cautious person. Mm -hmm. So I tend to lean towards at least the guidelines I'll set for myself tend to be a little bit more conservative. There are things I probably can do, but I'm a little bit skeeved out of them probably just because of, you know, at this point I've been isolated away from random strangers for like what, what has it been? Nine months or something like that? 10? Yeah. Uh, so almost, like, yeah. 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 So I, have I, a, I have a volleyball here and uh, he and I get along. <laughs> cool. His name is Wilson <laughs> and he's very wise. And uh, yeah, he has an answer for everything. So, uh, Matt, you're in an interesting situation. Speaking of going into small spaces. So for instance, sometimes, uh, so we talk about Thanksgiving and even, even as important as it is, you you could go one step further to, to a more urgent need, which is, you know, there are situations and I've known people, uh, you know, all around us are people where, um, Often an elderly person is in need or maybe hospitalized, might not even be COVID or whatever, but you feel, you know, you want to go or you want to visit for whatever reason. Um, and like with uh, um, Thanksgiving, is it's a, vol- it's a one dinner thing. It can be done over Zoom. I think we all understand that in some ways that's actually, uh, um, you know, in the voluntary zone and would be easy to skip. There was an expert on um NBC's uh, Meet the Press uh, yesterday saying, uh, look, just call it the COVID year. That was the year we didn't get together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Next year we'll get together. So you, you can do that. But for instance, when it, education is one of the big areas where it has been a struggle and really people, it's it's uh, the hardest kinds of decisions, you know, choice between a rock and a hard place or so forth. So um, how... Are there any, what, have you looked at any scientific information? How do you make judgments about what goes on uh, in terms of school? And why you right now is doing half and half. Is that right? Half people are in the room and half people are on. Uh, the, the rule at NYU at the moment is that students can uh, choose to attend class either remotely or in person. Um, so they make interesting. Okay, so there they make the choice, right? Yep, that's right. If I'm a student, how do I make the choice? Um, well, a lot of them, uh, it's a question of anxiety level. Um, <laughs> are they comfortable coming in in person, regardless of you know their technical expertise or anything? Uh, it's right. just how they're feeling about it. And for some of them, it varies from day to day. So a certain day they're comfortable coming in, certain day they're not. 
Um, so the the university's decision about that, I think, has has less to do with sound public health decisions and more just about reassuring um, how the students will feel. Um, right. All that said, the university is working very hard to make sure that everyone is socially distanced and desks are cleaned between every class um and that's uh you know all the halls are one way so no one has to face anybody else as they're moving through the building wow um so they're working very hard at it um for i should say a relatively small number of students who are actually here in person Oh, that's interesting. And I guess also the, the, it is also at least sort of free amnesty in a way for someone who, you know, if you're at risk, if you have asthma or you have some reason why you really don't want to put yourself in any danger of getting COVID and you automatically stay at home. Um, yeah, but that's the weirdest. This is what's so strange to me. Science, uh, and, and, you know, Neil Tyson's very good at this. <laughs> you know, science doesn't care what you feel. Science really doesn't care what you feel. In fact, what you feel is like you have to throw that out almost, almost automatically. Um, so here's a situation where, well, it's based on your anxiety level. Well, the coronavirus doesn't care about your anxiety level. But I guess we have to accept, is this, this is the challenge for the public in these strange times to accept that um, it, the information is incomplete. Yeah, and that is uh, that is the base um, state of doing science. Is you start off with incomplete information, and then you get yeah. gradually less incomplete information over time. Um, so you never get to a place where you can algorithmically punch the numbers into the computer, and the computer tells you what to do. Um, you're always going to have feelings, or as Gabby said, kind of values and personality traits. Um, that govern the kind of decisions you make um, at the end of the day. Um, and there's no way around that. And trying to pretend that that's not the case is not a good idea. Yeah, and I was going to say, I also think with this, you know, it's it would be one thing if this was just like a, a meteor hurtling towards the earth and we were just trying to figure out if it was going to hit it or not. This is working with people, and people are a little bit more unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And also, there's a phenomenon in science um, with, like, self-reporting. Um, it's called people are liars. And <laughs> so P-A-L. Yeah, you know, crazy it's, jargon. Yeah. yeah. Scientists don't even know what they're talking about nowadays. Yeah. yeah. Pe people lie. Especially if, you know, they feel like there's something, something that you, you want to hear. Read in, in the you won't read that in the politics section. Yeah. So if you ask someone, have you been, you know, socially distant or isolating or something like that? Like say you've got a relative that you're debating whether or not to have over for Thanksgiving, and maybe you set rules about oh, isolate before you come or something like that. And you ask them, hey, have you actually isolated? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you find out that they just stayed home two days before they came over, not mm -hmm. like they've been actually isolated for two weeks. And so it's one of these things where some of your risk assessments and, you know, your anxiety level have to be based on the people that you're interacting with. So, you know, all of Rockefeller is basically back to work now. But I feel much more comfortable at Rockefeller than I do in any other crowded place because we haven't actually, I mean, knock on wood, we haven't had any cases of, trans, uh, of community transmission within Rockefeller. Wow. No one has gotten each other sick at Rockefeller. Again, wow. knock on wood, but yeah. we're now moving to testing everyone weekly. So right. like that's a, 
that's a pretty big reason why I'm comfortable there because, you know, we're a bunch of scientists. We know what this is. We're generally going to be cautious. But if this was maybe the same amount of people stuck into a concert venue, I'm really not, I'm not with mm, that. Like, so there is a certain amount of risk assessment based on the people you might be around. Right. Or another, another example, a quite, quite vivid example yesterday. So I live in an apartment building and of uh, some hundreds of people, I suppose. And we have like a grassy courtyard in, in the center of the, uh, the building. And uh, some neighbors uh, had a baby shower yesterday mm -hmm. and i counted probably 50-ish people oh my god they set up well, let's say 20 even if 25 um <clears throat> somewhere from 25 50 depending on the time people came and went they set up chairs far apart on the lawn and you know when they were beginning they were wearing masks and when i saw them, they were like oh we're setting up you know it's going to be socially distant huh? it's going to be great well, as soon as the people got there, they weren't socially distant. Uh, within 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half the masks were off. Yeah. Um, people were talking as if normally. And I do actually think they felt like, oh, no, no, well, it's, they didn't, <coughs> excuse me, they didn't, I've got the cough, see, they got me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh there are pregnant, and of course, the mother was there, was about to have a baby, and there were other pregnant women there, and you know, other people that have conditions that we probably just don't know about. Now it was sunny, so that helps. Uh, there was a breeze, it, but that's that seems to me too risky, I would think. And I also lean towards that because anytime I see more than like maybe like ten people at a go, I I get a little anxious, or at least like in close proximity. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Definitely, this is definitely more than 10 people, right? Uh, and it went on for hours. I mean, it was all afternoon. Um, and time is another another factor. So. Yeah, and I, I think it's easy to think, you know, I know these people, therefore they are safe. Yeah, but, right, yeah. I mean, it's less of a, a problem in New York, but there are some places where there's really, really insane community spread. It's like something like Wisconsin, where I think it's like 94, Four cases are positive per 100,000 people, which what that actually means is, say like in New York, where we actually have a pretty low rate of what's called community transmission, I can go to the store and feel relatively safe because there's a low chance that the woman that passes by me is sick and will infect me. But in places where the percentage of people in the population are positive, you have a greater risk of just going outside and interacting with someone, even passively, who is sick. And so if you're having a gathering in one of these states where even if the people around you say, I've been socially distant, I've had my mask on, there's a chance they got it from someone they didn't even know that they were really in contact with. Just that person yeah, who yeah. coughed, you know, behind them for like a couple of times when they were in the grocery line or, or something like that. So it's, also another like variable. It, there's definitely so many variables in, in calculating this. That, yeah, it can be daunting even for a scientist. Yeah. It, it, this morning I was talking to you at the uh, coffee shop, talking to one of the coffee masters who makes the coffee there. And um, uh, she was saying that she is from Wisconsin and she actually just got back. She didn't want to visit, but she felt like she had to go. It was a family event. She went and she visited. And she said, you know, it's crazy because like Wisconsin right now is having one of the worst outbreaks. And yet where her parents live is incredibly rural, rural. Yeah. Um, and so she's like, people live incredibly far apart. And so they feel like, how could we get it? 
Meanwhile, mm-hmm. it's just ripped through the community, and it must be something. Well, yeah, they do live far apart, but everyone probably comes down to the same diner or the hair salon or the post office or whatever. You, you do come together. Um, so uh, it, this comes to the limits. Matt, maybe you can help us get but what What's the teachable moment here? I feel like it's it's sort of this is a conundrum of science. Um, this is a loophole in a way or a weakness. I don't know. This is something that the politicians are exploiting mm-hmm. tremendously. So it's not just a matter of like, oh, well, you might, you know, um, it's just I random the, chance. I think the problem is that um, we've created a society in 21st century America that is not very comfortable with uncertainty. Um, but unfortunately, uh, that is the nature of of life and particularly the nature of science. Um, but as you say, because we're uncomfortable with uncertainty, it is easily exploited um, by politicians and other sorts of unscrupulous types. Um, so I think we need to um, train people to do better with not knowing everything that they might want to know um, and uh, get people some experience making decisions on incomplete information. And so what I, it sounds to me like what that boils down to in brass brass tax is that uh, actual actions is be more conservative. Right. Um, uh, that is one strategy. Yeah. Not, not politically you, conservative, be more um, cautious. Yeah. More cautious. In abundance um, of caution, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. You can do a kind of uh, risk analysis strategy where you, uh, you know, you kind of multiply the uh, likelihood that something is going to happen by the magnitude of the consequences and decide accordingly. Um, so like I have no idea, um, where my cat is going to be sitting when I get home today. Um, but the stakes of that are very low, so I don't need to spend any anxiety on that. Um, whereas, uh, me getting COVID is high stakes. Um, but I'm 80% sure uh, about the the things I'm the the actions I'm taking to help mediate that. So similarly, I don't have to worry about it that much. Yeah, and I would say you know it's, it's easy, I suppose, to idealize other eras or certainly eras that we haven't lived through that are so far away. It's it's easy to kind of gloss over. But uh, for instance, you know there have been wars and uh, they would have blackouts, right? You had to like everyone had to turn the lights out. You, if you needed the lights on or whatever, you they they literally painted the roofs of cathedrals black and right, it, it, all kinds of incredible things. And there was a sense that, like, don't even light a lighter, don't even light a match, right? Because right? Jerry, the Germans, you know, might have a plane above. Um, and people would do that. Do we know if, in for instance, the 1918 pandemic or other eras, polio during the polio uh, pandemics? Was there a sense of fatigue? Like people are talking now about pandemic fatigue. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> How lazy is that? Generally, no, I think. This is, uh, this is a more modern development. Um, I think, uh, you know, we happen to have been lucky enough to have grown up and thrived in this very strange period of human history um, in which uh, we did not generally have to worry about pandemics and such. Um, and we had easy access to things like antibiotics and medical care. Um, but for 
the other four million years that human beings have been around, um, we have generally understood that uh, uh, the world is out to get us and we act accordingly. Yeah. You know, one thing I find fascinating is that we don't see what, but in a weird way, because of the way the politicians have played this, uh, played people against each other. Here we see people, for instance, not wanting to wear masks. And what they're saying is, you know, you're, uh, so the people who aren't following the rules are being harassed, so to speak, or being told to follow the rules of, of sanitary living, mm-hmm. um, which is good. Whereas uh, certainly in the past, um, or look, let's go back to 9-11 or something where anyone who looked like maybe they looked at all, uh, you know, if they were um, Muslim, for instance, after 9-11, People were just attacked because you looked like, or, you know, there's hysteria, very bad, very wrong hysteria, right? Or in World War II, the Japanese, because you were, um, and I can imagine this whole thing have been played differently, whereas the people who had COVID would be treated like lepers, <laughs> or leprosy is a good example. Right. There was huge hysteria, right? Now, maybe, maybe justified, maybe not, I don't know. Um, we don't see that at all. We don't see that at all. Well, I think we we do see a fair bit of isolation of and um, hostility towards people who are not who are not who are actually COVID positive, but who are suspected of being. So, for instance, um, uh, there's been a huge number of increases uh, in attacks on Asian Americans over the last several oh. months um, mm-hmm. because of certain rhetorical choices um, on the, the part of our political leaders. Right. Right. No, you're right about that. Yeah, because okay. I was going to say that actually did happen to a friend of mine at Rockefeller. And she's oh, literally yeah. a scientist and she got like some random old dude was just like screaming racial slurs at her. And it's like, you're literally harassing a person who Who's is a virologist you, yeah. and is like actively working on this stuff. And it's... Oh. Not what she was, even she was out just walking around. And... Yeah, it was some, I think she was going to get groceries or something. Yeah. And... Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, I'm glad we corrected my hypothesis there. Um, and yeah, good to know. Okay, people, yeah, people are terrible all around. Never stops. People, <laughs> mm-hmm, can, no question. people can be bad in all categories simultaneously. They will. Um, so, but uh, Gabby, what's... Uh, here? Here's the funny thing about this. And you, you said, <laughs> you read this article from The Atlantic and you were like, well, basically it says we don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of expected like there would be a solid like bullet point at some point of like, these are the right. things that I learned in the process of looking for this. Um, but instead, it was really talking about how people are getting their news from all different places. A lot of county health offices don't have any ways. To, it was more explaining why there's so much variance in information. Yeah. And yeah, yeah I think it's looking at this, it's really one of these things that's very frustrating because it's a, it's, a noose we tied for ourselves a while ago, and now we hung ourselves with it, and we're like, no one could have seen this coming. And it's like, really? Because <laughs> we've, been, we've been tying that for a while, like defunding a lot of county health departments. So now that they don't have the resources or the staff to create websites that can be updated um, and give people information, the fact that you know we have allowed a lot of anti-science sentiment to exist for a while with no, I guess, attempts to really actually change maybe like our education system. Because I, I do insist that we don't really teach how science works at all. We just right. teach it like it's a set of facts and not that it's, it does 
you know, we have a set of hypotheses more so. Um, yeah. And it's just like stuff like that where it, it really has built and I think kind of crystallized into this. And then we get, you know, pandemic fatigue, which I think is extremely understandable. I feel it myself, but it's also an incredibly privileged thing because you wouldn't necessarily be fatigued of the plague in the Black Death. You'd just be dead. Like, right. or, yeah, exactly. like we yeah. get to be fatigued about this because we actually have a, like good enough measures in place to, for the most part, keep more of us safe. Of course, in the United States, we tend to be more reactionary than wholly preventative. So when things start getting better, people get fatigued and then they start taking more risks and having these smaller community gather like smaller gatherings, but that are still sickening people. And then the case number goes up. And once again, I feel the need to remind people as what we're going into, what people are calling the third wave, we actually haven't left the first. Yeah. So it's. Yeah. We never beat it back down to the baseline. We never beat it back down. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Lastly, I would just say, I think this is where leadership comes in, you know, that a, a very, very, very strong leadership would, or leader would give the scientists cover in a way would, would, you know, not make this, you know, the scientists are the messengers, right? And so would, you know, not, if the scientists are telling you to do something that's uncomfortable or unpleasant, or, you know, you got to stay in for a while, they have just, the, the leader would say, okay, I'm telling you, stay in. Or we're going to lock everything down. That's just how it is. The leader could say, look, we need to work harder. And the leader is the one who can err on the side of caution and, and actually make people feel good about it. That's, mm-hmm. that's incredible. That's right? we, yeah. You know, we're going to uh, ration food and collect every scrap of metal so that we can fight for freedom around the world back in World War II. Or I'm, I'm reminded of seatbelts um, because oh, originally uh-huh. when seatbelts were introduced, very much like anti-maskers, there were people who were cutting them out of their cars because they thought it was nonsense oh, and it was wow. restrictive of their freedom. Wow. And what they did was there was a huge campaign actually in like schools to get kids to pester their parents to wear them and stuff like that. And now one of the most effective things that I've seen is someone's not wearing their mask and some six-year-old tells you, pull up your mask. Like, you're gonna do it. Uh-huh. Like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Are you gonna argue with a six-year-old? You're sixty. Like, yeah. So, I, yeah. I'm just reminded yeah. of that. That you know, if we had a push to, I don't know, like, teach our kids or something like that, like, to wear a mask and tell other people to wear a mask, and yeah. maybe it'd be more effective. And I must say, without with with uh, kidding, not kidding, we have six year some of the the leadership guidance that we get comes from a six-year-old who doesn't know. The right thing to do. I mean, it's that level of mentality. Um, so fantastic. Yeah, this is great. This is pe- people should. Uh, this is a good time to focus on the fact that Thanksgiving causes you to, uh, or whatever holidays you know we have coming up, wherever you are in the world, causes you to think about this um, situation. Realize, I think, in some ways, you have to own the decision yourself. And um, the thing that. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm doing the right thing either, but I feel like if I went to a party or a gathering and somebody got sick, <laughs> I am so neurotic that I would feel guilty about that. I wouldn't know, right? You wouldn't know whether you were the one. You mm-hmm. might very yeah. well be the one who brought the virus because you can be asymptomatic. You could never get it. You could have carried it and never gotten it. So mm-hmm. 
if you don't want to be the one that kills grandma, um, <laughs> then uh, do. And this way, by the way, we will know who the true bad family members are. So the ones who show up <laughs> have outed themselves as assassins. <gasps> <laughs> Crazy Uncle Jerry, he's the assassin. <laughs> Keep him away. He's bad. Um, Matt, what will you uh, what will you be doing um, this holiday season? Uh, we have not decided yet, actually. So that is a thing that we need to to figure out. Yeah, interesting. Gabby, how about you? Has your family made plans? Yeah, so I will be seeing my parents, but I am an only child, so our Thanksgiving is a Thanksgiving of three. Ah. Uh, and so we're each planning on sort of before we go. I'm getting like tested like twice just to make sure. Yeah. Um, and then I'm also staying for a considerable enough amount of time that. If I was developing a sickness from my parents, then at least I would know before I went back up to New York. Right. And then when you come back, will you have to be quarantined? Oh, damn, I might. I guess it depends what state. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really does depend if if Maryland's off the list, because I'll, I'll have oh, to yeah. figure out what, what the jam is with that, because if it's still on the list, I, I don't know, stuff keeps coming on and off, like... I think it was right. like two weeks ago. Virginia but it's like was, 45 states on the list out of 50. So Yeah, at this point, it's like everything. So yeah. we'll, we'll see if that holds up. <laughs> we'll yeah. see. And what we're referring to is that basically there's, you know, this depending on what state you're in, there's certain rules. So New York has a list of if you come from any of these states, we regard that as a situation where you need to lock down for 14 days. Uh, I'm going to say my, uh, my wife went to visit a family in Florida. Uh, her mom was having surgery and stuff. So she went and she came back and, uh, it's, first of all, she got tested before she went. She got tested there, and she got tested when she came back, all of which she has w- would have done anyway, but has to do also because she's a teacher. And so the New York public school system is like really aggressively, for all the faults and all the craziness that's going on, they are being very aggressive about testing. And then she got calls for 14 days, multiple times a day uh, from someone, you know, just saying, how, do you, how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. And have you gotten tested yet? How are you feeling? Have you gotten tested? Just really, which even if you didn't do anything about that, you, you really got the sense that it's important that you stay in. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, this is, I mean, that's leadership. You know, I just thought that was good. So, all right, everybody, we hope you're well. Um, and uh, let us know and send in any of your questions. Feedback at whatif.com. We will uh, take a look at them. Any news, by the way, news stories where you are. I think that would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be nice. News stories where you are, no matter where it is. I mean, if it's a national or you know a global media story, that's fine too. But also local. I'm really interested in the local situation where you are. It's uh, it's always interesting to hear. So uh, feedback at whattheif.com or go to our website whattheif.com and uh, right there on the uh, top right of the page, there's a place for you to type us a message and paste a link there and uh, and contact us. Subscribe if you haven't already and. Uh, Write us some reviews. We just, we've got new reviews, so thank you very much, by the way. Uh, five-star reviews, that's great. Whatever podcast app you're using right now, uh, scroll down and find that place where you can uh, rate and review this show. We really appreciate it. Um, we will be back next week. Um, Gabby will keep us up on the news uh, from both inside and outside the lab. Uh, anything you guys would like to plug? No, nothing at the moment. Nothing. Nope. Nothing. Stay unplugged. <laughs> Might be easier, actually, for sanity. Yeah, yeah. That's air on the side of caution. Stay unplugged. And uh, stay tuned for on Friday. We'll be back with our regular What The If show where we'll be taking on some sort of 
we will be mistreating the universe in some horrible way. Yeah, we invite you to come, come join us for science, to learn science. See you all next week. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you.